uh, an appropriate introduction into our message today. Um, though it might surprise you to know that the title of today's message is Peace Shouts. <laughs> Normally we think of peace as being peaceful, right? But if, if peace breaks out in your life after a long season of conflict and war and bloodshed, yeah, you're probably going to shout. Uh, I think there was some shouting that took place, shouting of joy at the peace, the truce that took pl uh, place, the pause, depending on what term you want to use, uh, over in Gaza. Uh, in this war between Israel and Hamas, a terrorist organization that has claimed lies of Israelis, innocent Israelis. And as you know, you've watched the news, there have been bombs that have been dropping uh, both to get the hostages uh, back and also to eliminate the leadership of this terrorist organization. I spoke, because uh, I was curious, I spoke to two missionaries this week. Uh, one named Mike Landrum, who's, uh, he and his wife, Raquel, uh, uh, she's a Jewish Christian, and uh, they together are missionaries with the International Mission to the Jewish People. And they're actually based in Australia, uh, though the ministry, International Mission to the Jewish People, is based in the UK. And I asked uh, Mike a question, Mike Landrum. I asked that same question to Susan Mendelson, who uh, many of you know Susan because she's been here several times to our church. And, uh, she's a missionary as well, though for 35 years she uh, was with Jews for Jesus. Uh, she's now retired from Jews for Jesus, but she's still an itinerant missionary and she travels from church to church, training regular everyday Christians to do regular everyday kinds of witnessing. But obviously as a Jewish person, a, a Jewish Christian, she also has a heart for the Jewish people. And I asked them the same question. What's it going to take for there to be peace? Well, I, I primed them, right? I said, I'm preaching on peace this week. And the text, actually, uh, um, that we're going to read here just in a minute, uh, promises peace for the people of Israel. We're going to look at it in just a second. But I asked them the question, what's it going to take for there to be peace? And wouldn't you know it, they both gave peace the same answer, independent of each other. And I'll tell you in a little bit. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, <laughs> turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. I'll get to what they said here in just a minute, but let's listen to what the Word of God says first. So this is Luke chapter 1, and Luke chapter 1 is a really, really long chapter, and uh, you may know that it starts out with Luke giving a little introduction and he's saying, I've sought out to present an orderly account of all the things that have taken place. And the Gospel of Luke, in fact, is combined with the book of Acts. Both of these two books were written by one guy, Luke. And Luke wrote them both and it's sort of a part one, part two. And so if you start at the book, uh, chapter 1 of Luke, and you read through the end of uh, the book of Luke, you should then start with chapter 1 of Acts and read through the end of chapter Acts to get the entire story. Uh, but here in the opening of chapter 1, we, we, we pick up with a fellow named Zechariah. And Zechariah is a priest. He's married uh, to a woman who, uh, and they're both uh, from a, a, a priestly line of descent, which means they're descendants from Aaron, the brother of Moses, from, you know, uh, 1,300 years before, right? They've descended. And so uh, these, are, uh, these are the holy of the holies, but they have not had any children. And God shows up when Zechariah is in the temple performing his priestly duty and says, you're gonna have a son. Well, Zechariah is kind of old, he's elderly, and he's skeptical. He's skeptical. I mean, an angel shows up in the temple and tells him, hey, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be an important guy. And, and for those of you who've read the rest of the story, you know this, this son is going to turn out to be John the Baptist, who, who will be uh, uh, the forerunner, uh, the prophet preparing the way for Jesus, the Messiah, right? But Zechariah is skeptical. And he goes, well, how can I know this is going to happen? Right? I mean, it's a typical skeptic, right? Well, you know, you know prove it, uh, angel. And the angel, of course, appropriately offended. <laughs> I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and because you have not believed what I've spoken to you, you will be silent and unable to speak until everything that I've told you comes to pass. 
Maybe it seems a little harsh to you, but, but you know, angels have a tendency to want to be believed, right? They show up and they say something. Uh, they want to be believed, and uh, they are angels, in fact. And so, yeah, all right. So, Zechariah comes out of the temple, cannot speak. About nine months later, a baby's born. And at the naming ceremony on the eighth day, which was the Jewish custom, right? Uh, at the naming ceremony, the mother uh, of this eight-year-old baby, right, Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, she says, let's call him John. And everybody goes, no, you can't call him John because there's nobody in your family by the name of John. You should call him Zechariah after his father. And his father has been sitting there silent for nine months, at least nine months. Hadn't said a word. And they go, Zechariah, wake up there, old-timer. We know you can't speak, but here's the problem. You need a name. And he asks for a tablet, and he writes, his name is John. And boom! Luke, chapter 1, verse 67. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. You see, peace is shouting, right? He hadn't been able to talk for at least nine months. Here he goes. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, you will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And that's his shout. After nine plus months of not being able to say anything, because he doubted. When God speaks, whether through an angel or through a prophet, you better listen, right? Uh, yes. And this, of course, is how we got in the mix, the mess uh, from the beginning. God speaks, he tells us what to do, he says, hey, here's the path, here's how to go. We don't. War. Injustice, sin, death, wrath, etc., and we're all living in it. So, well, how's God planned to fix it? It's all right here. It's all right here in this passage. Though on a cursory reading, you might be forgiven for thinking, well, this doesn't have anything to do with me. He never once says anything about you or me. Well, I mean, unless you were a descendant of Abraham. Any descendants of Abraham in, in here? Any, any ethnic Jewish people here today? Uh, because Zechariah's prophecy is for Jewish people, descendants of Abraham. That's the us he's talking about. He's not talking about uh, the nations. Uh, the rest of us are the enemies that Zechariah is talking about. You say, I don't know, I'm not an enemy of the Jewish. Right, 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 right. But understand, this was written 2,000 years ago by a guy named Luke recording a speech by a Jewish priest named Zechariah as he prophesies the ministry of John the Baptist. And let's just take a look here real quick. Who is this God, the Lord God of, in verse 68, of Israel? He's the Lord God of Israel. And who has he visited and redeemed? His people. 
Which people? Well, let's read on. Verse 69, he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. So this is going to be a king in the line of David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies in the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our ancestors. Our ancestors. And who are the ancestors? Well, David being one. And to remember the promise to our fathers, his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. You see that all of this has to do with Abraham's family. Abraham's offspring, specifically the offspring through Abraham's son Isaac, not Ishmael. Because you see, Ishmael was not the child of promise. Isaac was the child of promise. You've got to read the Bible. You can, you got to take, don't take my word for it. Read the Bible. It was through Isaac, not Ishmael. That is to say, the descendants of Abraham who became the Jewish people, this is who Zechariah is praising God for coming to save. And it's all right here, that we might serve our God without fear. Yes, but this is also how God plans to fix the whole world. But you may not have figured that out yet, but that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at God's peace plan. I've tried to boil this text down in just a few lines. All right, so here's the few lines uh, that, that, um, that uh, Zechariah, it's a two-part little uh, a hymn of praise. The first part is, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has raised up a horn of salvation for us. And you think, horn of salvation, what is that horn of salvation? Well, think of, think of like somebody going, bop, ba da bop, hey, charge, defeat the enemies, right? So probably not a trumpet kind of a horn, but some kind of shofar, some kind of, you know, ram's horn, right? right? And, and, and salvation this way. What kind of salvation? From the hand of all who hate us. So this is a deliverance from enemies. This is a deliverance from Israel's enemies. At the time, uh, Israel was under an occupation. It was under the occupation of the Roman Empire. Gentiles, right? Non-Jews, a secular, pagan, idol-worshiping nation had taken uh, uh, the territory of Israel and all of Palestine and Syria over here in the Middle East. The Roman Empire was the power, the preeminent power in the world. And so what is, who is it that Zechariah is calling his enemies? It's the Gentiles, the non-Jews who are oppressing the people of God. So that's it right there, all right? So, so uh, God's going to deliver Israel, save Israel from its enemies. And then he, he, the second part, he speaks uh, to his son, this eight-day-year-old little baby boy, and you, child, you will go before the Lord to prepare the way to give his people knowledge of salvation, but check this out, through the forgiveness of their sins. Oh, it turns out that Israel itself has sinned. The people of Israel uh, don't just need salvation from their enemies, they also need salvation from their own sins. In order to guide our feet, Zechariah says, into the path of peace. And you know this, if you've read the Bible, you've read the Old Testament, you've read that God offered salvation to his people Israel. They accepted it with the covenant, with the agreement that they would worship and serve the Lord, only they broke the covenant. And so now there's a problem. We've got enemies all around us, and it turns out we're no good for us either. We need a Savior from our enemies. We need a Savior from our sins. And Zechariah is saying God's going to fix both of these problems. He's going to do it, and you, John, are going to prepare the way for the one who's going to accomplish it. Both of these missions, defeat the enemies and defeat our sin. Bring about deliverance from those who hate us and bring about forgiveness for our wayward hearts. What John will announce, and he's got a few years, about 30 years, right? He's eight days old, so he's got a little growing up to do, right? It turns out he lives in the wilderness and he wears uh, camel hair and eats uh, locusts and wild honey. He's a wild man. And when he shows up, he says, repent. 
Repent, there's one coming who is going to baptize you in fire. You better get ready. People get ready. Jesus is coming. And it's going to be, it's going to be something. And then Jesus shows up. And the prophecy is fulfilled of a prince of peace. And what John announces, Jesus will accomplish. He brings perfect peace to Abraham's family, fulfilling this prophecy in Luke chapter 1. Now, you might wonder for yourself, uh, what is perfect peace? By the way, does anybody know the Hebrew word for peace? The Hebrew word for peace, it's a greeting uh, in Hebrew. Shalom, right. And shalom uh, means peace, you know, in, in, in so many words, right? But, but shalom is not a one-dimensional kind of peace. As implied by this text already, the path of peace, the path to shalom has more than one dimension. And you get an idea here of, of the, the three dimensions of peace. I'm going to give you the three dimensions of perfect peace. In order for something to, let's say, exist in the world, it's got to have three dimensions, right? Something with only two dimensions, it's perfectly flat, and you actually turn it sideways, it's, it's, it's not real. It's not actually there. So you've got to have a third dimension to make something uh, substantial and real in the world. The first dimension of peace is vertical. Peace between me and God, between you and God. And the problem, of course, is sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and so our sin creates a separation between us, Isaiah 59, 2. He doesn't even hear our prayers, uh, uh, Isaiah says, because of our sin. And so God, we, need, we need peace between us. And this is going to happen, as Zechariah says, through the forgiveness of the sins of the people Israel. He will bring peace between God and his people. That's what the Prince of Peace has to do. That's the first dimension. Then the second dimension, you get an idea from Zechariah as well. It's peace between enemies, right? And so uh, to, to deliver us uh, salvation from our enemies, from the hands of those who hate us. And so God's going to bring about peace for God's people so that this horizontal dimension is also taken, taken, uh, uh, taken off the table, taken care of. Right? Because if there's no peace, and this is what's going on right now over there in Israel, right? Is that you have people who hate each other, who are, uh, who are trying to kill each other. Uh, we don't have that going on right now here in our nation, but, but we have people who are enemies. We have people that don't talk to each other. We have people that refuse to associate with each other. We have people who are perfectly estranged from each other, refuse to even look each other in the eye. So you know, you know that peace between people is something that sometimes only God can accomplish. And that's what Zechariah is saying, that horizontal peace can only be accomplished by God, which brings us to the third dimension. So you got, you got this way, you got this way, and then if you turn sideways, you got this way. And this is the peace most of us are talking about when we say peace. It's the kind of peace where you go, oh, my peace I give you, Jesus said to his disciples. Not as the world do I give to you. This peace that passes understanding that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus this is the third dimension. Most of us want to skip to this kind of peace. I don't really care about peace with God, and, well, I'm perfectly fine to be enemies with everybody in my life, but as long as I got peace in my heart, I'm good. We see, it doesn't work that way because, you see, each of these is stacked on the one before. Each of these requires the peace that comes before. You can't have peace with your enemies before having peace with God, at least not a true peace. You could have a truce, but that's not the same as peace. That's just a cessation of hostilities. And any moment now, it could flare back up again, and we'd be dropping bombs on each other left and right. And no, true peace, horizontal peace, depends on true peace between you and God, between me and God. And then the third kind of peace, the peace for my heart, 
the peace of God that guards my heart and soul in Christ Jesus. You can't have that without peace with God. And we'll get to that here in a second. You can't have peace in your heart when you've got uh, friends or loved ones or relatives, a spouse, a child who can't stand to be in the room with you and you say, oh, but God's going to give me peace. No, no, no. You've got to have this kind of peace. Otherwise, your heart's going to continue to be in turmoil. And the scriptures bear this out. The peace that Zechariah is shouting about for his soul, for his heart, he's saying, God's going to give me this peace when he fixes my sin and he fixes my enemies, he'll fix my heart. And this is God's peace plan for the world. Take a look at this first video, if you would. Well, watch the screen. It's nightfall in Jerusalem, and Rahel Natanal is starting to make her rounds. Soon, her car will be filled with people, friends and strangers, Arabs and Jews. The ride is often risky for this Israeli Jew who travels to Palestinian zones to pick up passengers. But she says it's worth it to bring people together to forge friendships and talk of peace. I want to see everybody together, the Arab, the Jewish, the pastors, the people, poor people, rich people. Her vision is reality for nearly 1,000 people who have been to her home, drawn by her love and concern. Amir is a Palestinian from Hebron. I worked for many Jews, not one or two or three, but many. And I never met anybody like her. She is very nice and good, and whatever I want, she brings to me. When you give the love and you open the house and you open the heart and you can hear all the problems that they have and uh, you want to help them and you say that I want to, to try to do something and I want to help you and so they, they love it. Which is why people come back again and again, like Sharabi, a Jew. We simply became friends and I liked how she saw things. She has a completely different view of the world. That's it. If Rahel's views are different, they are also exciting to many who know her, people searching desperately for the hope and joy she seems to exude. Rahel is happy to tell them where she found both. It was in the Bible back in 1994, Rahel started reading about Jesus, Yeshua. At first, she was afraid. I feel like if I speak about Yeshua, nobody will stay more my friend or my family. But it was more strong than me. And when I knew that Yeshua is the Messiah, I couldn't be uh, quiet. And I start just to bring people, and it starts here in my house. With Yeshua, all the world fall, and you can be one. It's the message at the meetings, along with the friendship and the food. Jews and Arabs sit side by side, listening to stories about Jesus. Although some here say they are unsure about God, nobody denies the peace they feel in Rahel's living room. There is a thing here that I'm still investigating and checking, and I think, and I even believe, that at some point I might reach it. Just like many others that I met here said that it took them 10 years, I hope it won't take me as long. That's between Sharabi and God, says Rahel. In the meantime, Rahel has more meetings planned, people to visit and people to comfort. And where she sees gaps between Arabs and Jews, Rahel says she will try to build bridges or act as one. Rahel says it's what God would have her do. I cannot see any hope except him. Okay, so you might have figured it out, but the path of peace that God has laid before Israel and before us, 
is to make friends out of enemies. That the same God who sent his son to pay for the sins of his people Israel also, as it happens, sent his son to pay for the sins of the whole world. And so you see, as Rachel beautifully illustrates for us, and as Mike, uh, Mark Landrum confirmed for me, and as Susan Mendelson confirmed for me, there may be two sides in every conflict, but for every believer in Yeshua, Jesus, there's only his side. There's only one side, and they both said that to me. I said, what is needed for there to be peace in Israel? And they both said, Jesus. This makes sense, right? This makes sense to us, yes? God's plan for Israel's enemies is to bring them to Israel's Messiah, to bring the whole world to the same Lord, the same King, the same God, the one Savior, Jesus, Yeshua. Not just for Jews, not just for Jews. Watch this second video now. When Joseph Haddad looks back at his past, some of the memories he finds there bring pain. I was living a terrible life, and uh, I came to a point that I knew if I continue in this uh, manner, I'm going to, to put an end to my life. I had no hope. He says the future felt bleak to a young Arab boy in Israel. I felt uh, hardness toward the Jews. You feel like all the time you are under somebody who is ready to arrest you or to uh, charge you or to, uh, uh, to bring accusations against you. It was not easy. It's not, there is no freedom in such a life. Hopelessness turned to hostility. And in time, the war outside Joseph's home was matched by the war inside his heart. The political situation in the land also added to this. I did not have peace neither with my family, with my parents, or even with myself. And as a teenager, I remember that I mistreated my parents. I was beating them, cursing them, and dealing with them as my enemies. I woke up at night, and my mother was sitting in bed and praying, Lord, change him. She was asking God to help me and change me. Uh, I, I was ashamed of myself. You see, I wanted to be changed, but, but I couldn't change myself. He thought marriage would inspire a change. He was wrong. And now I had three people to mistreat, my father, my mother, and my wife. In February 1984, he met some people who seemed to offer hope. They were talking about Jesus and salvation, starting a new life. I remember that I started crying, and it was a long time that uh, I did not cry. I think over 10 years I did not cry. Joseph prayed, and over a period of months, he says, his life was transformed, as was his heart. The first thing I did was to go back home, and I took a basin of water. I washed my father's and mother's feet. I was kissing their feet. I was crying, asking forgiveness. There was a great joy in the house. He reconciled with his wife. Joseph received forgiveness, but now he had to give it. He turned to his Bible. If Jesus could forgive all his enemies despite the mistreating him and dealing with him in a harsh way, uh, I believe that he can give me the power to forgive my enemies. And this is what happened. The war is over within Joseph Haddad, and today, he tries to bring a message of freedom to those still held hostage by hatred. When you live in peace with God, when you live in peace with yourself and in peace with everybody, this is the climax of your life. This is only God who can do such things in the life of a man. <sighs> Did you hear the three dimensions of peace? Then you have peace with God peace with the people in your life, then you can have peace within yourself. 
This is, these are two stories. Two stories illustrating one blessed reality, which is that all the people of the world, all the people in this room, all the people in your life can be reconciled to God and to each other, that former enemies become friends. It would take a Jewish believer in Jesus to express this eloquently. His words are recorded in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. His words to you and me, to Gentiles, to non-Jews, he says, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, the Jews, the Gentiles, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, you Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, we Jews. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And in another place, he says it even more succinctly. Romans 1.16, Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Now watch this third and final video. And in case some of you don't know my real name, it is Taisir, the son of Said, the son of Ali, the son of Hassan, from the clan of Abu Sada, descendants of Ishmael, the son of Hagar, the wife of Abraham. Class is in session. Taz has much to teach because he had much to learn. I got to know the Jewish people whom I have hated all my life with passion to the point of going after them to kill them. I had a passion for killing a Jew. Thank God he's cleansed me from that. It happened during prayer. Suddenly I found myself praying for the Jewish people. They were in my heart to pray for before my own people. And I was just stunned. I heard myself praying, Lord, bless them, bless your chosen ones and take them back to the promised land. I heard myself doing that and I started wanting to shut my mouth with my hand because I realized what I was saying. But I couldn't because it's so bubbling inside of me. Also inside him, a deep desire to unload the hatred he carried for Jews. Tass says Jesus taught him how. On the cross, he was dying. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they, have not, they do not know what they are doing. Now, that is the model for me. If he can forgive, so much, I can forgive so little. 
In 2001, Tass was invited to share his life story at an Arab Jewish conference in LA. At the podium was Moran. And he shared about his friends that were killed by a suicide bomber in the war. And, and after he finished, he went back to his friends. And Tass is coming to me and is uh, saying, hello, my name is Tassir Abusada. I said, nice to meet you. And in my heart, I was like, what do you want from me? And then he's looking at me straight in my eyes and said that I was a Fatah fighter. And when I heard the word Fatah, which is a PLO, the Palestinian Liberty Organization, I took a step back. I said, but I, I want to tell you something. He said, yes. I said, I want you to know that I love you. And I was like, right at that time, the leader of the meeting asked us to gather in groups of four or five and pray together. And here I am, finding myself shoulder to shoulder with the next Fatah fighter. And we're praying for, for, for our heart to be reconciled. And we were praying in tears and weeping. He asked me for forgiveness in the name of his people, for my friends who died. I asked him to forgive me for my anger and my hatefulness towards the Arabs and for not being able to trust Arabs and love Arabs. What God has done in that moment, He has lifted that burden away from my shoulders. And He gave me love. He gave me so much love. I am and gave Him a brother. That I'll be willing to give my life for the soul of a Jew. Okay? I'll say it with all of my heart because I know God's heart for those people. And if I want to be obedient to God, I got to do what God is saying to me to do. Thus, willing to die for me. And that's a love that is more than a brother, a man that is willing to sacrifice his own life for the sake of his brother means the world to me. I love Tas, I love his family, and I'm willing to do the same for him. He's my brother. He's my little brother. He means everything to me. That's the peace of God. No one can. No one can bring that about between two enemies, fierce enemies, except God. Need some help uh, turning a banner around. <clears throat> Maybe two folks. Yeah, I appreciate that. Zechariah talks about giving light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our fat feet into the way of peace. And you just heard of the blessedness of God's perfect peace granted through the cross. So, what's next for you? I promise you, you don't have any enemies that are trying to kill all of your relatives and friends. At least I hope not. I promise you that none of your enemies are trying to kill you, deprive you of your life. I promise you that none of your sin is sufficient to keep God's mercy, His forgiveness, too far from you if you're willing. Because you see, when it comes to vertical peace, as the prophet says, there is no peace for the wicked. And as the apostle Peter says, repent then, turn away from your sin and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come 
from the Lord. That's what vertical peace looks like. That's the step that you must take, that I must take to turn from sin, to turn to God and allow Christ to atone for our sins. And then when it comes to horizontal peace, Paul says, hey, I may be a prisoner of the Lord, but I'm urging you to live worthy of the calling you have received, you Christians there in Ephesus. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Are we doing that? Are you doing that? Are you making every effort? Because as Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Literally in Greek, the peace doers. For they will be called children of God. And then finally, the one we're all hoping for and praying for, that inward peace. He says it this way, Isaiah, shalom, shalom. That's how you say perfect peace in Hebrew. Shalom, shalom. Say it twice, it's perfect. Yetzer samuchtitzor, shalom, shalom, you keep him in perfect peace. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. And Paul writes, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and then the God of peace will be with you. We're approaching the communion table. This table is a reminder of God's peace plan, if you will. And what I want to say to you is regardless of which of these dimensions of peace you're longing for, the peace with God, the peace with others, the peace within yourself, listen to this. God will give you his perfect peace, but you must be willing to let the Prince of Peace help you take the next step. You must. There is no peace for the wicked. And only the peacemakers will be blessed. And only those who fix their minds on the perfect prince of peace will have peace to guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you for the woman that I met this week a woman who has not had peace in her heart for decades. And I thank you for the permission that she gave to me today to announce what she longs for. She longs for a peace that passes understanding. And what she said to me and to Julianne as we met with her this week, she said, I just want to smile again. I want that for her. It's beyond my ability to give that to her, but it is not beyond yours, O oh God. And for every person here today or watching as we stream online, God, help each of us as we come to your table to see and to know what the next step on the path of peace is for us. Whether it is we need forgiveness for sin right now. About to take another step before allowing Christ's blood to pay for our sins. Or whether it's to offer forgiveness because we've withheld it, oh God. We've withheld the love and forgiveness you gave to us We've become the unmerciful in our hearts. Help us to take the step. Or whether it's to assume, oh God, that the war that rages in our soul can never be peace. And so we have wandered from you. God, use this time as we sit and reflect at your table at how you 
through your broken body, brought healing and wholeness for our broken lives. How your death has brought us life. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. peace plan on the night that Jesus was betrayed he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and said this is my body broken my peace for your peace and as often as you eat this bread do this in remembrance of me And after supper, taking the cup. He blessed it and said, this is the cup of the new covenant, the new peace plan, the new agreement between God and you. So as often as you drink this cup, do this in remembrance of me. God, I thank you for the testimonies of how you have brought peace between the most estranged of enemies. And I thank you, O oh God, for the peace plan that you are working in this world without which there would be no peace on earth. God, remind us to pray for the peace of Israel, which is to say, to pray that all those in, around Israel come to a saving faith in Israel's Messiah, Yeshua. As we here have come to faith in Israel's Messiah, Yeshua, may Israel come to faith in Yeshua. And thank you for Mark Landrum and Susan Mendelssohn and the missionaries who are bringing Christ to the Jewish people. God, I pray now for those of us who are not Jewish but have received the gift 
of the Prince of Peace for our lives, for our souls, for our relationships. I pray now that we welcome this peace and extend it generously, unfailingly to one another. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Thank you.